because I think a lot of people just think, well, I can't imagine myself at Z, like I'm never going to get there. So what's the point? And what they don't realize is just get from A to B, then from B to C, then from C to D, because a lot of people won't see what you just said, like one push up as a win, or they won't see, you know, going to the gym X many days. They might only focus on how many days they didn't go. And so they'll kind of toss it all away completely or just not get started because they just think that they can't see themselves at the finish line. And it's really about all the little baby steps in between all the little wins. And that is when you will see the progress. So if you can believe that that's true, if you can really understand that that is true, then you will see the result in the end, like focusing on the, the process and not the finish line. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and Farah Brittany joins me on the show today. And Farah is one of the top realtors in Los Angeles, as well as one of the founding members of the agency, a luxury real estate firm. Farah is also the daughter of reality TV star Kyle Richards. So you may recognize her from her appearances on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And since the start of her career, Farah has impressively helped close more than $386 million in overall sales. Her early success earned her the 2014 Outstanding Rookie Award from LuxuryRealEstate.com, as well as Rookie Salesperson of the Year by the National Sales and Marketing Council in 2016. Farah has also been named number 66 on the LA Business Journal's 500 Most Influential People of 2018. In today's conversation, we dive into parts of Farah's journey that you may not be as familiar with. We talk about what inspired her to make the move from psychology into real estate. Farah gets vulnerable as we cover intimate subjects such as body image, family dynamics, nepotism, and carving out her own identity. We talk confidence and the steps she takes to build it, as well as her routines to support it. Our discussion also touches on the truths and trends of the real estate market and why it's so hot right now. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Farah Brittany to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Farah, welcome to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait for today. Super excited. You know, when I first heard about you and read about you, there were several things that inspired me. One was your success as a real estate agent. Number two, it was how you pursued a, a psychology, I guess, career, if you will. You were going to get your master's in psychology before you pivoted into real estate. And then three, you grow up as the daughter of one of the most famous reality TV stars, I guess, of our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And have, but have, at the same time, you've remained very humble. You're like a normal person. I mean, we're all normal, I guess, if you will, but you wouldn't know it unless people Googled who you were and like what your fi- family dynamic was. You wouldn't know like where you come from or, or who you related to. And you've been able to establish your own brand, your own sense of self. And before we get into how you did that, like how you established your own identity, like why the shift? Why real estate and, and not psychology? Well, psychology was 
I mean, I love studying it in college. Absolutely. I mean, all my classes I've really enjoyed, but I kind of glamorize the idea of what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to be a forensic psychologist and I was like, oh, this will be, you know, I'll be like, I'm in one of those TV shows. I'll be interviewing, you know, murderers in jail and I'll, you know, be able to really get in their head and help them. I just had a very interesting idea of how I wanted my psychology career to go. Then when it came down to it, I thought to myself, you know, is that really what I want to do on a day-to-day basis? Do I really want to entrench myself and kind of, I don't know, I felt a little dark. And even if I went a different route in psychology, I had my own practice, I still felt that it's kind of a lot to take on other people's issues. So I think it's amazing all the cycle. I mean, I go to therapy and I love it. Yeah, it's amazing what therapists do. But me personally, I felt that it wasn't the right fit ultimately. And it was always going to be either that or real estate. I grew up around real estate. I love real estate. So I decided that real estate was a better fit for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, what happens is... We end up, I mean, life throws us these, these curveballs. unfortunately, where not, I mean, fortunately and unfortunately, where you think you're going one way and you have mm-hmm. this idea of what something is. And then when you actually dip your feet in the water and you get immersed in it, sometimes it shows you a different flavor or a different side of things and you begin to question it. And I think what happens though, is this, I think there's a lot of people that, they develop their identity or they they set themselves so clearly on this one thing that they're like, all right, I've already chosen to go to school for this. I've already told my parents, this is going to be my career. I've mm-hmm. already told my friends, like, this is where I'm going. And, and then they just stay there and they end up miserable and they're not fulfilled because they didn't make that pivot that I think probably in their intuition or in their gut that they did at that time. And I think as I'm, just listening to you and what you did, you kind of hit that point where you dipped your feet into the water with psychology and you had these dreams. But then when reality came, you were like, I don't know if I can sustain myself doing this. And you wanted to more be, I guess, a student of psychology and somebody who consumes Mm -hmm. psychology, but not somebody who is teaching it to other people and using it as a, as a career. So I want to ask a question that, that I'm sure probably comes up a lot for you in that, like, I'm sure there's people that would say, well, the only reason, or one of the reasons that you're successful is because of your family or because of your parents. And mm-hmm. what I know about you is you're a freaking hustler. I mean, I was listening to you, you get up super early in the morning, you have a coach, you have a mentor, which I highly recommend everyone having a coach in some facet of their life. You're disciplined. You're just a strong-willed person that just takes no BS and gets after it. So like, where does that come from for you? And how did you use that to build a successful real estate career? Well, first of all, I'm very happy you brought this up because this is, I do get asked this question a lot and it comes with a lot of history for sure, but you're right. I'm absolutely a hustler. I've been that way since kindergarten. I've told the story before, but when I one time came home from school and I was crying hysterically because I got an A minus and my mom was like, what do you mean? That's amazing. You did great. You got an A minus. That's still an A. But for me, that wasn't enough. 
I've always been such a high or an overachiever basically. And that was not pressure from my parents. They never expected that of me, but they always did encourage me, you know, the importance of schooling and getting good grades, because if you get good grades, you can go to a good college. If you get a good college, you can do whatever you want in life. And that was ingrained in me as like a, as a very young child. So when I got into real estate or made that decision, I was actually very concerned about this idea because I had been working so hard my whole life, you know, such a high achiever. And the idea of working in the family business was something that I just thought, no, I could work anywhere that I wanted in my mind. I I felt that way. I could do whatever I want. Do I really want to work in the family business? Or is that like the easy way out the easy route. And what are people going to say? And what are people going to think? And, you know, I should do something else. But at the end of the day, that was something that was within me, a need to prove myself as I, you know, was doing my whole life, always felt the need to prove myself, be the best in my class, this, that, whatever. And so ultimately I did decide to go into real estate and I knew that was going to come with all this kind of stuff. And actually a recent interview I did I talked about this, but it didn't go much further than that. And I posted something about the interview and someone wrote, they didn't even listen to the interview, but they wrote a comment on my Instagram and said, if she didn't mention nepotism and generational wealth as part of, as why she's successful, then she's lying to you. Mm. So when I read that, it immediately struck a nerve because this is exactly like one of my big insecurities. Yeah. And I got into a heated debate with this person that ended up being actually not a debate, but just actually a very healthy discussion and something that I want to bring up now, because this is something that comes up often. And basically they said, they ended up saying, well, you know, you had a very privileged life. Your parents put you through school and that's hundred percent. They're right. So I do want to acknowledge that I did have a privileged life. My parents did put me through school, which I know that not everybody has that opportunity, but a lot of parents do put their kids through school and they don't necessarily excel in school just because your parents put you in school. You still are, you know, you have to take advantage of that opportunity. So real estate, you know, being in the family business is similar in that of course, I've, I'm in advantageous position working in a family business. I've been there since day one, though. We could have flopped. We became successful. But it was up to me to take my position and actually excel and become successful. So, you know, I don't define myself or my success by the fact that, you know, my parents put me in school and all these things, but they it absolutely contributed 100%. It's part of my story. And what I, what I love about what you just said is the humility in your response to to my question in that you you acknowledge this is like a big insecurity for you. And you're like, this is something that I sh- you struggle with because in some cases, like you're right in the way you grew up, gave you somewhat of an advantage to where you are now, but that you still have to do the work. There's still a lot that needs to be done, which I think there's people that that forget that. They forget yeah. that even though you come into a situation where maybe you have a few extra steps that have you've already accomplished just by nature of, of your circumstances, you still have to keep moving forward. 
and you still have to do something with that. I'm sure if you wanted to, if you, you could have just not worked or you could have just gone on and pursued something else or, you know, not gone, gone, gone into the family business or whatever, but you didn't. And, and I think people like, here's the thing. We can't control our circumstances. Some of our circumstances are much better than others. Some of them are much worse. And what really counts is, is how you respond. And it doesn't matter just when you're in bad circumstances on how you respond. It's when you're in great circumstances. It's like, are you maintaining humility? Do you still right. have that same work ethic that you um, might not have had, had you have not grown up in the situation that you did? And I think yeah. people forget that, that you grew up in this situation. It's not your fault. You know, right, there's a but... difference between being <laughs> pompous and arrogant and just completely full of yourself, I think, because of the situation you're in. And the, there's a difference between that and then like how you're coming across in a very humble, hardworking, hustling way. That's like, listen, like I acknowledge that this is where I grew up, but I'm still getting up early in the morning, grinding, trying to to make money, trying to provide for myself and the family business to build a legacy of my own. I think that's very admirable. Well, also, you know, it's funny because people do say that too on the flip side, like, oh, you probably don't even have to work if you don't want to. That's not true. I mean, literally like, and when that person said the generational wealth thing, also what they don't realize and what a lot of people don't realize is this show only happened 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. This, our company, the agency only opened, you know, nine years ago, 10 years ago. And the success that everybody sees is really only in the last five or six years. That's right. not how I grew up. So I also want to mention that we grew up comfortably. Absolutely. Yes. But this idea of that I grew up with this lavish lifestyle as a kid was not the case. Yes. I was still, I still went to amazing schools. Like I said, my parents still were able to put me through school, but it's not what you see on TV now. So the idea that I could have not worked is completely false, but it's yeah. Like I have to work and I support myself. I've been supporting myself. And also the job that I'm in is commission based. So if I don't put the work in the houses, aren't going to sell themselves and I'm not going to make any money. So, yeah. So I guess I want to stay on this topic for a minute, <laughs> just because I think there's some, there's some good things here to unpack, to help people who are dealing with things, people like haters or people that don't have their best interests at heart or people that are just trying to chop people down just because they're projecting their own stuff onto somebody mm -hmm. else. Right. Like, cause I think at the end of the day, people who are feeling great about themselves. They're not going to try and chop you down. Like no matter wh where you came from, I mean, they're going to be like, good for you. Like, that's awesome. Like, like, you know, I'm, to me, and again, like, not that everybody has to share the same opinion as me. What I kind of say is I'm just like, you know, like, that's awesome. She took an already great situation and made it incredible. And, and I respect that because yeah, like, 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 what am I supposed, what are you supposed to say to that? Like, I mean, you can just, well, be it'd be like, one thing if I was trying to say to everybody, Hey, you know, I'm some rags to riches story, or <laughs> I'm a self-made entrepreneur and all these things that would be one thing. Fine. But I've never said that, you know, I've, I'm good at what I do. I'm an, a good person. I'm a great real estate agent. I never, ever claim to have gotten to where I am in life without the help of family, mentors, teachers, parents, never. So I'm not lying to anyone. But the thing is, I'm happy 
that that person brought up that comment, because if one person is thinking it, I'm sure a lot of other people are. And it's something that I want to address because that was always kind of the elephant in the room. You know, like I kind of downplayed if someone said, oh, wow, you're doing so well in real estate. I would say, oh, no, no, no. Just don't shine any light on me because I don't want to open the door to any negativity or haters. But really that kept me you know, in the shadows a lot because I wasn't willing to like address that because that was my insecurity. And when I just said, you know what, it's fine. I can talk. There can be, both can be true, you know, both can be true. And I'm willing to have these conversations with people and explain my side. And if anyone's still, if they don't agree with me, they don't have to agree. This is just my story. So if it's boring to you, then that's totally fine. (laughs) And it's life. Like we're all, we're, never going to all agree on on everything. We're never all going to see eye to eye, but I think it's just in the way you carry yourself and showing somebody just respect and just having empathy and compassion, no matter what walk of life they're on is like how I think the world, the world works. So like, what advice do you have for someone that's dealing with haters, somebody who's maybe trying to put themselves out there more on social media, maybe somebody's pursuing a career that maybe people around them pursuing a career that's healthy for them that they want to do, but their family is maybe not supporting them. Like what advice do you have for dealing with people like that? We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by paleo Valley. I think I have found a new addiction and that's the paleo Valley beef sticks. When I first came across these, I was honestly quite skeptical being that most beef sticks are highly processed, unhealthy and gross. But after trying the ones from Paleo Valley, I was instantly sold, not just for the taste, but because they are grass-finished, grass-fed, and fermented. Plus, the company is family-owned and accessible, which seals the deal for me. So many people ask, how can I get more protein in my diet when I don't have the time? Paleo Valley has you covered with their high-quality beef sticks. I have even been recommending them to my personal training clients. They come in many flavors, but personally, I am digging the summer sausage and teriyaki. So if you'd like to give one of the best healthy snacks on the market a try, go to paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Again, it's paleovalley.com. And when you enter in the code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Well, if I was an expert, that'd be one thing, but this is something that I deal with every day because I have been, uh, I am a a shy person. I am an introvert. Actually, I, I think of it as like, there's two sides of me. There's that person, the shy introverted, you know, I'd rather be in the shadows, kind of doing my own thing, very private. But then there's the other side of me. That's like, I do, I have a lot to say. I'm opinionated. I do want to use my voice and speak up. And then I'm constantly trying to reconcile these two sides of myself because when I want to speak up, sometimes I'm like, no, you know, don't, don't bother because that's going to come with, like you said, the haters and the criticism and the judgment. So, but that's not an excuse to silence yourself, to appease people that you don't even know, and then feel that you're not living your best life or living your truth or being your true self. So that's actually been like what I've been dealing with myself personally over the last couple of years is how can I just be more authentically myself? And I don't mean that I'm not authentically myself. I'm not a fake person, but how can I be myself without worrying so much about offending one, you know, kind of person or dealing with critics. So this is like an everyday thing for me and how I would 
tell people to deal with that is just think of where you want to be in life and all the things that you want to do. And maybe people that you look up to or respect. And do you think they got there by just trying to please everyone and being polite to everybody or by not speaking up or by just sitting there doing nothing? No, it comes with the territory, you know, to be your, your authentic self might, you know, mean that not everybody likes you. So if that means that every day you have to give yourself a little pep talk, then that's what you need to do. I constantly have to tell myself this, like, it's okay. Just do it. It's fine. It's fine. You know? And then I just say, then I just do it. So that's basically how, what I would tell you guys. Well, and I think that's, that's great advice because I think in order to be successful in any area of life, you have to put your, be willing to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And and just know that the more success you have, there's going to be more people, I think, trying to bring you down yes. because there's a lot of people that that are sitting on their couch still, or they're sitting in their room or at that same job that they've been wanting to leave. And they want to be doing the thing that you're doing or some, one of the, if you're another listener who's listening to this and, and thinking the same thing, mm-hmm. like they want to be taking that shot, but they're not. And they're yes. upset with themselves. So when they see somebody else do it, they're going to try to bring you back down to your, to their level. Right. And, and so you talked about this, this subject of authenticity and getting to know yourself and being true to who you are, which was something I wanted to dive into, to, to dive into more with you, because I think we live in this, in this world where the world, the word follower has become very popular, right? Mm-hmm. And we tend to wrap our identity in times around people we follow on social media Maybe it's people we see on TV. Maybe it's different shows we watch and we lose our sense of self in that. And one of the things that has inspired me about you, which is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you was it seems like you've been able to develop your own identity that's outside of just being Kyle Richard's daughter. And I think that's, I'm sure it can be challenging because like we were talking about at the beginning, your mom is arguably one of the most famous, like well-known reality TV stars there is. For those of you who don't know who Kyle is, I, I believe she's like the original, like the OG from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And, and that show's obviously been around for quite some time now. And so my question to you is getting back to the subject of authenticity. What were some of the things that you did personally to develop an identity for yourself, for, for Farah? while also being able to maintain a healthy dynamic with your mom and your family. I never thought of it that way. I get that other people would would think about this or question it, but if you think about it from my perspective, I'm just me and that's just my mom and we just happen to be on a TV show and I don't even that's really all it is. So I everyone else might or some people might look at me and say, "Oh, that's just Kyle Richard's daughter." But that's just everybody else's perception, you know? So for me, I never had to consciously think to myself like, oh, I need to differentiate myself or develop my identity separate from my mom. That part never occurred to me because that's just our life and uh, I'm just me and that's just her. But what I think is interesting that you're saying about identity, what I can speak on is, is just me working more and more to just figure out my own identity on my own. And maybe that's what's showing through. Maybe that's what you're talking about. And that's like translating, which is a good thing. Right. And I think that part is just really thinking, you know, who 
do I want to be? Do I want, how do I want to show up in life? I want to be somebody that's constantly improving myself. I want to be somebody that's constantly growing. I am a student, which is funny. You said that in the beginning, which is, that's how I look at myself. Like I'm very curious person. I'm always reading. I'm always asking questions. I'm always looking at people that I admire and thinking, what did they do? So I'm constantly learning. And in terms of developing my identity, it's more just speaking up more. Whereas before I wasn't doing it as much, I would, I wouldn't like confrontation. Even as a kid, I remember my mom would just say, Oh, just speak up and tell the teacher that. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to. So the more that I've taken a little risk, and it's funny that you even mentioned the followers thing is because when I've spoken about this in the past, Instagram does come up a lot and not in the way of like, I care about social media in that way. I just mean Instagram, when you're a very shy, introverted person like me, social media is just something that every day you can practice kind of getting on stage, if you will. Because to me, getting on stage is equivalent to basically dying, which a lot of people feel that way. Some people don't. And I wish I could be one of those people. But for me, even putting myself out there a little on social media feels very, very, very scary. And so I've used it to kind of practice becoming more and more authentically myself. And in doing so, that's when I actually found my little tribe of people like myself who have heard me talk about this subject in the recent, you know, in the last year. And I've said, oh my God, I'm thank you so much for talking about this. You know, I, I have a lot of things I want to say too. And I just don't think anyone might care or I'm too embarrassed or I think I look stupid. And so they have told me this, like, I'm like you and please talk about this more. So in doing this, I've like, not only gotten a little bit better, a little more comfortable being uncomfortable, but I've found a whole slew of um, people that feel the same way. And it just feels nice to actually have now connected with my followers in an actual authentic way. You know, what's crazy is, is that I think sometimes in life, the things that, that scare us are actually the, the things that can lead us to an even greater destination in life, right? One million trillion <laughs> percent. Yeah. I mean, cause you, yes. you've, talk, you've talked <laughs> about being the, the introvert and, and mm-hmm. being a little bit shy and afraid to put yourself out there. And then you're looking to, I guess, just organically develop your own sense of self, your own identity through your business, through your personal life. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of thing, and so the one thing that that scared you was putting yourself out there, and then when you actually did that thing, it actually led you to get to developing that, right? Exactly. And now exactly. you've built your own <laughs> tribe. Now you have a bunch of people who follow you, and obviously, it's helped your real estate business with everything being online now. And people, mm-hmm. you're not seeing. I don't. I was saying this to somebody the other day. I don't remember the last time I saw like a sign, like a for sale sign for a house. Like, and maybe I'm just not paying attention as much, <laughs> but. I feel like most of the, the you've house- been inside too much recording your podcast. <laughs> Probably, yeah, it's sad. Um, or they're but, selling so quickly that there's just not even a time to put the sign up. <laughs> yeah, it, well, and what's interesting, I think, is before people would drive around to look at like houses that were for sale in their area. I mean, maybe they wanted to take like a thirty minute radius and just ride around. That was like a thing. Mm-hmm. And now with with Zillow or Redfin or some of the others, you can just Google. And you can look at what's at least for sale. The price might not be, you know, as accurate, but I think the listings are probably accurate as far as what's actually for sale. Yeah. So while we're on this topic, I, I want to get into it because I think it's fascinating, especially right now with everything going on. And I think it's no secret that the real estate market is booming right now. Like booming, things are selling. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I've heard stories of people 
paying like crazy extra money on top of a listing price just mm-hmm. to get a house, which is kind of opposite of what you would think would happen with with the pandemic and, and what's gone on that people wouldn't be spending more money, but it seems like they are. So I, I feel, I feel like I have one of the best of the best on the show to be able to, to talk about this. You're in the business. You're very successful. You have a pulse on what's going on. So if you could explain is, I guess is as simply as you can for the audience to understand like what's actually going on right now and why the market's so hot for sellers specifically. Well, the market's so hot right now because Yes, being in the pandemic, absolutely. In the beginning, we all thought, oh no, this is it. This is the, there's going to be a crash. We're going to be back in the great recession times. And this is all hell's going to break loose. But the thing is, because of what happened with the great recession before, obviously people are, they've been building equity in their homes basically since then. And the lending practices are much stricter now than they were. So we're in an all overall healthier economy going into the pandemic than we were the last time. That being said, people are now sitting in their homes, sharing space with their whole families and really realizing after spending in their time in their houses for a year or whatever, the discrepancies in their homes or realizing they actually need more outdoor space or they want less of an open floor plan or more of an open floor plan, depending on people's individual preferences. And people really decided like their home is their sanctuary more than ever. You know, a lot of people don't even necessarily plan to go back to their offices ever again. We hear more and more about that. So it's really like, okay, well, I'm willing to spend more on such an important investment and such a, you know, the sanctuary where I'm going to spend all my time. So people are wanting to move. They're wanting to upgrade. They're wanting a change of scenery. And then the third part of it is the interest rates are Mm. historically low and they have been, I mean, they've been a little more fluctuating the past couple months, but still they've been so low. I think they said something like since the seventies, we haven't seen interest rates this low, which means that buyers can also afford more. They can also afford more, but that also means that there are more buyers out there for all of these reasons that the competition is so high and there's been, you know, a low supply of inventory, I think for the most part nationwide, especially in big cities for so long that that means, you know, the demand is so high and that means that there's such competition, people making offers, buyers making offers, multiple offers, so really what I tell my buyers is, yeah, the, the win is just getting the house these days. You know, unfortunately, some people have to overpay and yeah, the sellers are benefiting. Absolutely. So hopefully that answers your question. You said something really fascinating to me where, and I was just, my mind was just kind of thinking and processing it as you were saying it, it almost seems that so pre-pandemic people were maybe only spending, I don't, I'm just going to throw random numbers out there. Say somebody was spending 25% of their time, or maybe I mean more than that. Like, so if you sleep eight hours, that's, you know, 24 hours a day. Yeah. You can discount the sleep. Right, part, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just say they're spending 40% of their time in their house throughout the day. Okay. So their house is important, but maybe it's not as important as if it is when you're spending 75% of your time in a house. And so what I think has happened again, I could be wrong, but just based on what you were saying, when they're considering the house, like their sanctuary, people are like, oh gosh, if I'm going to be spending more time in a house, I better make sure it's the one that I want. I better sure it's, mm-hmm. the, I, I better make sure that it's one where my kids can be able to do certain activities. 
I want to make sure that I have a nice office. I want to make sure that maybe I put in different amenities that I wouldn't because I used to be able to have those amenities at other places that I was going to more freely. And I'm sure it's just been like a mindset shift for people to say, you know what? I don't mind spending the extra money to be able to have the convenience of doing a lot of the stuff that I would have to travel and leave to go do that I can now do in the comfort of my home. Are you seeing that? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I was going to say a thousand, but a hundred or a thousand percent. Definitely. Yeah. Probably people are spending less time at restaurants. Well, obviously not probably. And realizing that they now enjoy cooking more at home or they built a little home gym in a bedroom or outside or in a garage. I did the same and they might never be returning to the gym again. I'm one of those people. I mean, never say never, but so that's absolutely correct what you're saying. We're maybe saving a little money somewhere else. And whether you are or you're not, you're willing to invest more regardless into making your home sanctuary really someplace that you can be happy in every day, spending more time. So what are some of the things that you're seeing people are considering now non-negotiables for their home that maybe before they weren't? Like Meaning I would guess there's going to be more home gyms built because mm-hmm. people are now like, oh, the gyms are, are, have been closed for a period of time and I've gotten used to working out at home. I'm going to make this a little bit nicer. Or maybe there's been better home offices built because people are working yes. from home. Is that, is that what's been the biggest like non-negotiable you've seen? The biggest non-negotiable is outdoor space. Mm. That's been the biggest. I mean, every single day I'm showing someone uh, a house and they're there. That's the main thing people are looking at right now. And even if it's a condo, they want balconies and they want to be able to barbecue outside. It's really about outdoor space. Secondly, it is home offices even more so than the gyms. And in a lot of cases, it's two home offices in addition to bedrooms. People wanting multiple home offices or a room that they can convert or garage that they can convert into a home office or a gym. And then extra bonus points. Some parents are looking for Zoom rooms for their kids or homework rooms for their kids. So all these kinds of things. And then for kind of like the the higher price points, luxury, it's about the wellness centers, the wellness centers, people building, they want their own saunas, sauna, you know, they have those ones that you can put outside that you can bring in. They want cold tubs. I mean, technology. Yeah. Cold plunges. I've seen cold plunges and then kind of like the high tech machines, even like the red light machines and all this kind of wellness technology. People are really into that. So gone are the days of making sure that you clean off the kitchen table or dining room table to do your homework. You got Zoom rooms and homework rooms you need for kids. Zoom, exactly. <laughs> so the, the, I think the last thing I want to touch on with, with this part of your, your journey with the real estate is, is just like your clientele and not obviously specifically, but you know I've seen some of the homes that you've listed. They're like tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just curious, is it, is it hard? I mean, I think it's, probably hard to sell any home in some capacity, but I think there's probably people who get this idea, like who would buy this home? But I think we think that because we're here and we're not spending 10, 20, $30 million on a home. But I would imagine you have a core group of clients or clientele that that's just what they spend. So are you, is that what it is? Do you have people in your network that are just spending that money? Or do you really have to put in a ton of work to convince someone to spend $20 million on a mansion? 
I mean, there's only so many people in the world, you know, billionaires or hundred plus millionaires. Right. So it's a smaller market, of course, but LA is, you know, a very desirable place to live. I think even more and more people are realizing, I mean, pandemic aside, but just the lifestyle, the weather. So it is the Mecca for some of these wealthier individuals. Uh, a lot of the times we do sell to our own clients and we do have a very strong network of, of buyers also that purchase our, our listings, but you'd be surprised. There's a lot of wealth in the world and yeah. a lot of these people, yes, we meet celebrities all the time. We sell to celebrities, but most of them, most of these buyers are just people you've never heard of and they're in XYZ industry. And you're, it just makes you really think like, wow, never heard of this person. They just dropped 30 mil or more or less on this property. And it just shows that there's, there's so much wealth in the world and we don't even realize in some regard. <laughs> but is the process with that like, like longer than it would be to sell somebody say like a 200, $300, $400,000 home? Or are these people, they're already looking for a home like that. Like they already, that's just what they want. You're not having to convince them to spend an extra $10 million or $5 million. That's kind of in their price range already. Typically, yes, it's a, it does take a little bit longer, yeah. these higher price homes, but it could be one day if the right mm. buyer happens to be around. It could be several months. It could be a year sometimes if it's you know the really, really high price points. Mm. I've even seen homes take two to three years. It really is about being at the right price though for any property and especially in the high price points also, because at those, at those numbers, sometimes there can be a big disconnect between what the home is listed at versus what it ultimately sells at. And the closer you launch at close to what it's really actually worth, that will make your life a lot, a lot easier. Because the truth is, even if there might not be so many people in the world that can afford 10, $20 million homes, there are enough where if you are priced correctly and should sell pretty quickly. When I say pretty quickly, you know, within a few months. So that's the biggest thing you, you want to do as a real estate agent is to advise your client to really launch at the right price point. Cause the, you could be saving them so much money. Cause what usually happens is if you overprice, you try to get that super aspirational price and then months go by and you end up having to chase down the market, but ultimately you'll end up selling for less than what you would have had you started closer at a lower price, you know, closer to the right price to begin with. Right. And okay. that, we've seen that time and time and time again. I want to dive into the subject of confidence, which is something that I really like to talk about because I think in order to accomplish anything in life that's meaningful, there has to be some level of confidence within with inside of you to be able to believe in yourself enough to be able to try and achieve that. Mm-hmm. And clearly the real estate market as is, is pretty competitive. And I got to imagine in your niche, it's probably still very competitive because that's like what people want, I think is like, oh, I want to sell to a celebrity. I want to sell a $20 million home. And then even now with the market booming, you're you're probably seeing a lot more people flock to the industry because it's hot to become a realtor. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things, like say it's like closing day or you're going to, to sell, to show a home and you don't, you're, you're unsure if it's going to, to be sold or you're unsure if this, the client's going to be interested, but you want to like show up just 
feeling your best. You want to just have that swagger to know that you're just going to go and get it done. Like, what are some of the things that you do to boost your confidence, to get ready to, to show a place like that, to do your best and making sure that it gets sold. We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Legion. If you're anything like me, you only take the best of the best when it comes to supplements. And you're always looking for those that are also backed by science, use natural sweeteners and fully transparent with their ingredients. This is why I love the products at Legion, which is also the number one all-natural sports supplement company in the world. I currently am enjoying their vanilla plant protein, which goes into a post-workout smoothie after I work out, or it acts as a quick snack while on the run or between clients and interviews. I think we can all agree that 2021 is a year that we need to make health a priority, which is also why I consistently take their Triumph multivitamin and immune support to ensure that I am doing everything I can to feel my best. So if you want to follow my lead and take the best supplements around that have free shipping and a hundred percent money back guarantee, go to buylegion.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug to get 20% off your first order. Again, it's buylegion.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug at checkout. Now back to the show. Great question. Well, first of all, there's no worse feeling than being a real estate agent and running, like racing to a listing right in the nick of time, not having enough time to open all the doors seems very straightforward, but we deal with like, you know, you have to open gates and take the alarm off. Sometimes the key isn't there, doesn't work. You want to have, so you really do want to give yourself enough time to like, make sure that you're not stressed. So that way you can like come into it confident and calm and not in a frenzy. So I like to try to get to all my listings, depending on the size of the house to give myself ample time to get everything set up and go the extra mile, you know, light candles, put a vibe, put the music on. And that is step one. Step two is preparation. So you don't want to be caught off guard when somebody asks you how, what's the lot size of this property? What year was the house originally built? Or even other questions like what year did your clients do renovations or anything like that. You want to be as prepared as possible and even go the extra mile in case they ask you, well, what, you know, didn't that house next door sell last year or who bought that house across the street? So the more information that you have prior and, you know, sometimes I'm driving to the listing and I'm actually reminding myself of this information making sure I have it all down. So it's not like I just know everything all the time. You know, we can only know so much. So I'm constantly reminding myself of the stats. If I need to look something up before I do, that way you are super confident to be able to answer every question that you possibly can. Obviously, if you can't, don't make stuff up. You can get back to them, but you don't want to be hit with five different questions that you don't know the answers to. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, it's really you know, yes, we're showing property you want to sell, but to me, the confidence isn't just, I don't want to just show every single thing and just say, Oh, here's the kitchen. Here's the living room. Here's the bedroom. Like, hello, people have, you know, they can, they know those things. They can see that for themselves. So it's really being able to just sell the lifestyle. You know, you know, we hear this all the time, but where, you know, imagine yourself living in this home, you can join this country club, your kids can, you know, ride their bikes in this cul-de-sac and you're near this restaurant, blah, 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 blah. But really just give, um, being able to translate the experience to the potential buyer 
in a way where they get it, they feel excited about it. And then just giving them some space. I don't like to be the agent that just hovers and talks and talks and talks. Yeah. That that makes (laughs) a lot of sense. I feel, I feel like that in, in that industry, the, probably the clientele you deal with, they don't have a lot of time. And so Mm -hmm. if you're not prepared and you're asking them questions that, you know, you should already have the answer to, and you're wasting their time, they're just going to find somebody else to get a home from because time is, is very valuable to them. I think what happens is when you're prepared, you kind of, you can be less frantic, less stressed, less anxious, and then you're ready to just go on with, with the sale, with the conversation or whatever it is that's going on. And it just also seems like you're very disciplined. You're very type a, you're very regimented. So I think that all comes naturally to you, a lot of it. And one of the other things I wanted to dive into that I think is really important to you is your morning routine and how that sets you up for success throughout the rest of the day. And I know that that's something that is, is super valuable for you as you get up super early and, and some of the things that you do on a consistent basis that set yourself up to be your best self, show up in confidence and, and win in real estate. Routines. I love this subject. Yeah. I think routines are super important. I think it's the only way to actually have freedom in your day is to kind of know what you are going to do every day and how are you going to do it as a real estate agent? Obviously our days are different every day, but what I can rely on is my morning routine. And that is a way where I can just feel good and go into the day with a lot of energy. It starts with a good night's sleep and it starts with making sure I have plenty of time in the morning before I actually have to do anything to myself. So my morning time is very cherished And I basically wake up and I have my green juice, I hydrate, and that's when I spend a little time either reading a book, usually spend about 20 minutes reading a book while I'm having my green juice and then my coffee, because I am a huge coffee lover. I have probably too much coffee, coffee every day. And I'll either be reading a book or I'll be responding to my DMs on Instagram, getting back to people, you know filtering through to see if there's any like business inquiries. That's what I do in that time. Once the coffee kicks in, I'm already dressed in my workout clothes. I put that, those, I put my outfit on, you know, before I even come downstairs. And that is when I do my morning workout, which is my pretty much my favorite time of day. It does take me a little bit to actually like wake up in the morning. I don't like wake up and I'm not ready, you know, guns blazing alert, ready to go. So the music that I play in my workout, I'm getting, you know, sweating. That's how like I get my endorphins flowing. And that is what is what gets me like charged for my day. So usually work out for about an hour, sometimes even an hour and a half, depending on the day. And that's pretty much how I set myself up from there, you know, shower, get ready, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but the second part of it is how I kind of try to organize my day is rather than wasting time going back and forth between, you know, computer contracts, escrows, marketing, setting listings up and showings. I try my best to like stack where I'm dealing with most of the computer work in the beginning part of the day, like till about noon or so if I can. And then I spend the afternoons either going on listing appointments, doing showings or what have you, obviously. So that, what that means is if any realtors are listening to this, like, well, how do you do that? If somebody emails me and says, Hey, can I show a house at 10 AM? I'll say, well, is there any chance you can do 1230 or one? If they say yes, great. 
if they say no, then I'll make an exception that day. So, you know, I'll, I'll be flexible, but if I can, I try to organize myself in a way to be the most efficient. And you brought up some, some things that I think I want to unpack here, because I think when people, they hear the word morning routine, they believe, oh, I just got to get up at five or six, seven, and, and that's it. It starts before it starts when you go to bed, because if you don't get a good night's sleep, then your morning is completely thrown off. Like there's been times in, in the past like month or so where I've had a couple bad nights sleep and I've seen it just spill over into my morning where I'm groggy, my energy's down, and I now have to recover from that. And, and you also mentioned the importance of getting your body moving first thing in the morning. And really, you know, a lot of people like to work out first thing in the morning. And I think it's important. And as a trainer, I advocate for people to exercise and move their body whenever they can, whenever it's convenient for them. But this is what seems to work for you. And again, this is where I believe having a sense of self and your own identity becomes super helpful and that you're able to establish something that, that works for you and then stick to it and kind of quiet the noise of what everyone else is doing and stay true to what you have going on in your certain routine throughout the day. And I know, and I want to touch on health and fitness because I know this is something that you began to take a little bit more seriously, I guess, a few years ago, you had just turned mm -hmm. 30, I believe. And you're like, you know, it's time for me to, to make a change. And I don't know if, if there was something going on with your health or it was just, you know, it's that time I got to really make sure that I'm investing in this area of my life so that I can, you know, be healthy as I get older, I can be my best at my job, my relationships, that sort of thing. So what was the thing that inspired you to take your health more seriously? Well, I actually, there were a few years, a while where I kind of was struggling with my weight for me personally. I was not comfortable. I mean, I had a few extra pounds that I, I wasn't happy with. And yeah. so I, not that you should base like, oh, now it's, I basically was like, okay, it's my 30th birthday. I want to get into more of a ritual where fitness becomes more of a ritual versus what I was doing before, which would be like, I'd work out sporadically. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's summer. Oh God, I need to lose 15 pounds in a month or whatever, or it'd be like some certain event. And I would just bust my ass trying to, you know, get ready for a certain something I'd lose the weight and then I would gain it back kind of yo-yoing for a while. And so when I turned, was turning 30, I wanted to make a promise to myself where it wouldn't just be something that I was doing to get ready for one specific thing, even though it sounds like that when I said it, it's turning 30, but I wanted to make the promise to myself that this was going to become a ritual that I was just going to be consistent throughout the whole year for the rest of my life as much as possible, rather than taking months off and starting, you know, times a hundred. And to me, that meant like, okay, how do I actually make this a ritual? And it had to do with what you just said, like moving your body. I didn't have to be like, okay, well, if I don't do a hit class or do some crazy boot camp class, then it doesn't count. I'd be like, no, that doesn't matter. If I can get even 20 minutes in today, then that's all I need to do as long as I'm moving my body every day. And then I just, so I didn't make it like hard on myself. I made it something enjoyable and easy. And then from there, it's like, oh, wow, I can actually do this every day. Let me add on 30 more minutes or let me make it a little harder. Let me build on this. And so slowly it became a ritual. It turned into that.
And now I've been super consistent with my workouts. What you mentioned before, like working out first thing in the morning before I hated doing that. Like I was so anti doing that, but now I really feel that that is what relieves anxiety for me throughout the day. Like the days that I don't work out in the morning, the whole day I feel tense. And I used to hear people say that before, and I really didn't really get it, or I didn't really believe them, or I just thought those are, you know, that's what that kind of person says. And ugh, that's not me. But now I get the importance of like being outside in the morning or moving your body in the morning and how it makes you feel the rest of the day. Yeah. And, and I think you, you touched on like something that again, was, is something that I think people need to to really take on and, and really adapt. This is just the notion of just moving your body mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what workout plan you do. It matters that the plan you do, that it's enjoyable. It, it fits in, in line with your goals. It's easy for you to be able to do not easy. Like the level always, like you should always be challenging yourself, but it should be something that is, is fairly convenient. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you have yeah. to drive two hours to go to the gym, <laughs> Like maybe you, you, you make a shift and try to do something online, or maybe you find a, a different place outside or whatever it is. Like, again, because you want to make it, especially when you're first starting, you want to make it is so we'll go back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to be able to go back. And especially girls. Like, I know this sounds crazy, probably to a lot of people, but a lot of girls will get this and there's memes about it that a lot of girls base their workouts around their washing their hair schedule. And so they'll be like, Oh, I can't work out today because I don't want to sweat in my hair. Well, you can actually, you know, take a walk even, or do some weight training where you don't ruin your hair, you know, a little dry shampoo is fine. You don't have to like sweat profusely every single day to make it count. I mean, you should definitely sweat, you know, every once in a while, but that's not an excuse not to move your body just because you're worried about your hair. Right. And I think (laughs) probably, especially in, in LA body image is probably it's, it's more focused upon on than it is maybe in other areas of the world. I would, I would think, what I've heard is it, it's a thing. It's true. It's a thing. So maybe the way you, you see yourself, if you lived in a different state, you might feel better about the way you look just based on what's around you. Because when you're surrounded with all yeah. these glamorous, beautiful people, and then you're trying to fit your fit in there somehow. And then maybe you look a little bit different. You're like, dang, like I thought I looked good. But here I am with all these other people that, you know, may, might look a lot better than me. And then you somehow feel inferior, which again, I'm going to say this again, because it's important is this is where the sense of identity and sense of self comes in that, you know, that this is your path and that you have control in some, in many cases on the trajectory of your health. And if you want to, to look better, you want to feel better. You want to take steps to change. It's up to you. Like nobody's, yeah, well, I mean, we can do a whole podcast about body image and yeah. LA in comparison. And that would be like a whole series probably. Right. And that's hundred percent true. And it is really hard, especially in LA, but anywhere, because everywhere you are, you have social media. And as a woman, the pressure is immense. It's real. It's hard not to compare ourselves. So that's why before I would get into this crazy routine right before something, because I would be like, oh, this thing is coming up and I have to wear this or that, or, and there was so much stress and so much depriving and all that. And what was cool about the pandemic is that I, you know, really even kicked more into gear, my 
ritual of, of working out every day, really for no reason. I wasn't going anywhere or had any events to go to. So I wasn't thinking like I was getting my body ready for anything. It was just like you said, like for my mental health and to move my body every day. And what's the funniest part about that is I've never been in better shape just by being consistent, not pushing myself like crazy before, but just showing up every single day and doing it relatively simple workout, I'm in the best shape I've ever been. So it's actually very interesting to see like when you let go of that mentality, what the result can be. It's like your body kind of wants to balance itself out. I mean, that's easier said. That's a very simplistic statement, but I think, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I see this in my industry all the time. I think where there's force, there comes resistance, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients who are looking to lose weight, especially is to focus on things other than the scale. Because the scale can fluctuate like crazy. And I, I did this one experiment one time just to, to prove to my clients how much the scale can be off is, and I forget the exact numbers, but just, let's just say I got like two slices of pizza or something and they were X amount of calories. And then I, I ate like a bowl of ice cream and combined, I'm just make, again, I'm just making this up because I forget the exact mm-hmm. numbers. It was like a thousand calories. Well, what we know is there's 3,500 calories in a pound of fat, right? So you're, you have to, you know, you have to put yourself in a deficit of 3,500 3, calories to lose one pound. And so I stepped on the scale that day. I took my weight the one day and then I stepped on the scale and I had gained like nine pounds or something. It was something crazy, but just to show how off the scale can oh, be. Oh yeah. I hate the scale. <laughs> with fluctuations, with salt intake, maybe water retention. Yeah, mostly. exactly. But if I can get people to focus on how they feel, Right. And when I mean how they feel, it's like, okay, have, has this person or whoever it is that I'm talking to, like, maybe it's somebody who hasn't gone to the gym for five years, but in the last month they've made it to the gym six times, seven times, which is a lot better than what they did, you know, five years ago, or maybe it's a pushup they weren't able to do, or maybe it was the amount of time they were able to, to walk on a treadmill, whatever the case may be, just having them focus on other areas of other metrics that can help boost that, just that little bit um, of positivity in their mind to motivate and inspire them to keep going. Right. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people just think, well, I can't imagine myself at Z. Like I just, I'm I'm never going to get there. So what's the point? And what they don't realize is just get from A to B, then from B to C, then from C to D, because a lot of people won't see what you just said, like one push up as a win, or they won't see, you know, going to the gym X many days, unless they might only focus on how many days they didn't go. And so they'll kind of toss it all away completely and, or just not get started because they just think that they can't see themselves at the finish line. And it's really about all the little baby steps in between all the little wins. And that is when you will see the progress. So if you can believe that that's true, if you can really understand that that is true, then you will see the result in the end, like focusing on the, the process and not the finish line. Yeah. And I think instead of people trying to go from couch to 5k or couch to marathon, I think it, the, the first step needs to be like couch to putting your shoes on or couch to going yes. out for a walk, couch to doing a push up or couch to drinking more water. It's like Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read. Oh, yeah. James Clear is a great, but, phenomenal book. Another one you should yeah. read if, if you like that is Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. Yes, uh, yes, I've a, heard of that. He's like a behavior that. scientist at, at Stanford and phenomenal book as well. But 
you know, a lot of this stuff teaches you the importance of like the emotional connection to these small wins and yeah. why, when you achieve these small wins, like it builds, you build this track confidence record in your mind too. of, yeah, of confidence. And that's how you, you build confidence is by, you know, doing the things that, you know, you should have been doing all along to better yourself in small digestible ways. And, and I would think for you, for instance, you, uh, it's not like you're setting yourself out now to say, okay, I'm going to go sell 50 houses. You're just like, all right, I just got to sell one house. Then I'm moving on to the next house and the next house and the next house. Because if you try to sell 50 houses at once within a day or two, what's going to happen? You're not, you're not going to sell any of them because you're going to be scattered. You're going to be flustered. You're going to be so overwhelmed that you're going to be like, I can't do this. And it's the same thing with fitness. If you're like, I'm somebody who is trying to you know, run 10 miles today, but I can, I've barely gotten up off the couch in the last three months. Like how overwhelming is that going to feel to you? Exactly. I mean, I think having goals, obviously, yes, are are important, but take them with a grain of salt and really don't, you know, and just take one step at a time, basically. So yes, have goals, but again, focus on the, on the, on the process and the journey. Yeah. And and of course, yeah, having goals is is, is very important. And I think having long-term goals is, is crucial as well, but there's not one person who achieves these massive goals without doing the necessary things every single day, without yeah. going from yeah, A yeah, to B, yeah. from C to D. Like, and I always say, like, confidence isn't built by getting to the top of the mountain. Confidence is built by continuing to get back up each time you fall on the way up. Mm, I love, I love that. That's how confidence but, is built. Yeah. And of course, when you get to the top. It's not like, wow, I'm, it's not like you, it's not, you're, you're not keeping your eye as much on the prize. Like, yeah, you, you might get some notoriety and all this stuff, but I think what happens more so is like, man, look at how far I've come. Look what I, what I had to get through to get here. Look at how many times I thought I was going to quit or I wanted to just fail or just wanted to stop. And I didn't. And here I am. Best feeling. Best feeling. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, and so the last question I have for you is you touched on something that that I kind of want to go into a little bit. And that's this, the, the body image stuff. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to go too deep on it today, just for sake of time. But I, I'm sure with the obesity rate in America, the way it is super high, people are struggling with their health. And you have a lot of people that are probably struggling when they look at themselves in the mirror and having a hard time, like really showing themselves any kind of love based on the way they look. Mm-hmm. And while I do think that that situation in itself isn't positive, like I don't think losing a hundred pounds or being 150 pounds overweight is necessarily obvious. It's not a good thing, right? I mean, there's a lot of health risks that go along with that. But what I do believe is you have to maintain some sense of optimism to be able to get through that. So, you know, what advice would you have if there was somebody listening to this who maybe is struggling with the way they look in the mirror and is just completely lost? beating themselves up. They see themselves and they're just completely um, miserable with the person they see in the mirror. What are some things that they could do to maintain some sense of positivity about themselves while they're on that journey? Well, I would be lying if I said that I'm a perfect person at self-love. I think we're all very critical of ourselves. I'm extremely critical to myself, but there are two things that I think about when I'm feeling that way. Well, first is knowing that everyone feels this way at some point. So even I'm sure supermodels feel insecure and have flaws. So you're not alone. One, the other two are more, more important, which are 
you know, when you think of the thoughts that you're saying to yourself, would you say that to your best friend? Would you tell your best friend, you look, ugh, you look disgusting or ugh, your stomach is bulging out or that is so ugly on you. You shouldn't leave the house today, whatever. What, you know, so I like to think like, it's okay to have those thoughts, but when they come up and you catch them, try to turn it around and think to yourself, would I say that to my best friend? No. What would you say to yourself if you were your best friend? And then I like to make that shift. And the last one is, you know, if you're criticizing like a specific body part, why not think to yourself instead of, you know, my big fat thighs, what about, you know, I'm so lucky that I have two legs to walk on, Mm -hmm. that I can run, even though I hate running, that I have a healthy body that can move, et cetera. So every time I've read that in, you know, books, magazines, or people saying that, I think like, now that is a powerful, beautiful thing. Like we take these things for granted and then we batter ourselves and destroy ourselves over them. And we really need to be grateful for these, for our bodies. So that's the advice that I would give. Perfect. And I think that anytime you're in situations of despair where you're feeling off or you're feeling down or you feel as if your back is completely against the wall within one area of your life, turning to, to gratitude mm-hmm. and really paying attention to the blessings and not just on a, on a surface level, but more on an emotional level, like really getting clear on, on why yes. these are blessings to you, mm-hmm. because it's easy to, to write something down. And initially in my journey, it was the gratitude list. Like I'm thankful, grateful for this, grateful for that. And over the last few years, it's pivoted and changed a lot where I do my best now to attach something emotionally to it. So why am I grateful for my body? Yeah. Why am I grateful for this person? Why am I grateful for this? Because then you, you develop an emotional connection. And while you might not immediately turn your, your mood around or give yourself this you know, massive great day that was once bad, I think what it does is it just gives you a little bit of hope inside of you when you're feeling super down, which is what people need when they're in those moments. So important. Yeah. So yeah, it really is. And I think what happens is this, is I think you imagine like your life is a house. And I think what hap- what, what tends to happen in people's lives is maybe a light's burned out. Mm-hmm. They went through a breakup, lost a job. Their, their health isn't the way it once was they're stressed, whatever it is. And people just tend to burn out every other light in that, in their house of life. They self-sabotage, right? Spiral. Yeah. So if I had a light out in my place, I wouldn't just go smashing every other light Mm -hmm. to make sure that every other light was out. I mean, that that wouldn't be very productive, right? (laughs) So I think if people can just learn to, to mitigate the adversity, mitigate that, that darkness with the tools that work for them. Like you mentioned gratitude, you mentioned self-talk, you know, you mentioned just being able to, to gain some perspective on what's good in their lives so that they can change their focus from something that's a hundred percent negative to maybe it's 50, 50 now, maybe it's 50% negative, 50% positive, or the case may be. And, and yeah, I, just I think it's say, about awareness, honestly, Yeah, yeah. because a lot of people I know when they are going through a hard time, they really just spy, like one bad thing happens and then they just spiral into, and this is going wrong and this is going wrong. And oh my God. And so 
I'm always like, okay, can you just, first of all, take it one day at a time, read the power of now, like don't worry about things until they happen. Like, do you have a reason to worry about that right now or no? No. Okay. So let's not worry about that. Let's worry about the one thing that we need to worry about and don't think about the other 50 things. And to me, it all comes down to awareness and like self-regulating when you see those things come up. A lot of people like they just spiral out without ever being the ego or whatever, being the other person above watching the two people battling. And they're just, you need to just like stop and look down and be like, okay, this is what's going on. And how am I going to, how am I going to get, not get better, but like, what am I going to do? Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> right. hundred percent. Well, well, fair. This has been awesome. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this conversation on all things, identity, health, real estate, just staying positive during times when you're not feeling well and trying to, again, stay grateful and have a different perspective when you're going through these, these difficult times. So I'm sure people are going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to follow you on social media. Where can people find out more about you? You can follow me on Instagram. It's basically the only place I'm at at the moment. And it's at Farrah Britt, F like Frank, A-R-R-A-H-B-R-I-T-T. And that's it. Thank you so much. I had a the best time. What a great conversation. This was awesome. Amazing. Yeah. This has been a fun conversation. It was great getting to know you. And I was very intrigued to have this conversation for many reasons. Like I said, and this conversation, I think is going to help a lot of people. I mean, not only feel better about themselves, but hopefully just get a, a little glimpse of what it's like, you know, being in the real estate market that you're in, mm-hmm. you know, living the life that you do and kind of how you've been able to turn the way you grew up into something meaningful for yourself. So Farah, I want to thank you so much. And for those listening, give Farah a follow, check her out on Instagram. And as I always try to recommend, if, if something resonated with you, if it was something that she said that touched your heart, we love to hear feedback, tag Farah, tag myself with a takeaway or something that you're going to implement into your life so that you can, it can allow you to become a better version of yourself. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.